0: saw
1: one of the recent podcasts and I saw at the bottom say you know get in touch and I thought well do you know what I have this thing that I've been thinking about for a while but yeah I don't know if it's going to be any good or not but let me just write in.
2: That's Victoria. Luckily she did send an email and I got a chance to have a proper chat with her. Hi Victoria. Hello. Born in what was formerly East Germany 31 year old Victoria has lived in the UK since she was a teenager.
1: I know I definitely have become more British in my mannerisms. Um, I apologise constantly.
2: (laughs) The pandemic experience has given her and her partner itchy feet. Sick of working from home in their small London flat, they've been dreaming about going to live and work overseas.
1: We see what it's like living outside of the UK and at least to us, it seems... Seems like a better lifestyle.
2: Financially, however, the couple are very tied to the UK. They've bought a property here and have built up valuable pensions and investments. How easy will it be for them to uproot?
1: I think this is probably one of these areas where if you know that you need to do something ahead of time that is going to make your life much easier down the line, it's better to know it. I'd like to know it.
2: If you've been dreaming about relocating overseas, keep listening for expert tips that could help you make that dream a reality.
3: Ask questions early to plan ahead. It gives you the optimum ability to get the best out of the situation.
0: It might be better to rent your property out whilst you see if living abroad suits you. From negotiating your relocation package
2: to renting out your home. This episode is a primer for anyone planning this kind of move. Welcome to Mummy Clinic, the weekly podcast from the Financial Times dedicated to tackling real-life financial issues. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT's consumer editor. Victoria moved to the UK with her family when she was young, setting up home in Liverpool.
1: So I was uh, 12. I spoke very little English. It was a shock suddenly coming into an environment where everything just looked the same. and Everything was just sort of very grey and it was cold and raining a lot. <laughs>
2: so that drizzly British stereotype may have turned out to be true. But fast forward 19 years and Victoria is still settled here.
1: So tell me where you're living and working now. I'm based here in London with my husband, He's also foreign, so he is originally from Sweden.
2: Victoria is a corporate tax advisor. Her partner works in finance. They've built up successful careers in the UK, but the couple's priorities are changing.
1: Here in the UK, or at least in London, it very much feels like we are living to work. Whereas, yeah, when we go back to visit family and friends, it very much feels like they work to live.
2: The pandemic and lockdown has really brought it home for Victoria.
1: The bedroom is one office and then the living space, which is just a combined living, kitchen, dining, is is another office.
2: She's noticed their work-life balance slipping even more towards the work side, especially for her husband.
1: Most days, I don't even know whether he's going to be able to come and sit down and have lunch with me. I kind of, <laughs> we have to schedule lunch. They've decided
2: that they're ready to leave London and they're not alone. During the pandemic, it's estimated that up to 1.3 million foreign-born residents may have left the UK. However, the couple are still undecided about where they might go to find a better life together.
1: For now, I think the choice is probably between Sweden and probably, let's say, Singapore.
2: <laughs> Both would involve different financial sacrifices and lifestyle benefits.
1: So if we move to to Sweden, I'm definitely going to need to retrain it and do something else. But even my husband, I think, would struggle.
2: That would hit their earnings power. But on the other hand, they'd be closer to his family and closer to nature.
1: You can just go out the door and be in a forest Mm. and just walk around and not see another person for your whole walk if you want to. Oh,
2: sounds blissful. But that's also quite a contrast to what life in Singapore might be like. Still, with higher potential salaries, they could live the high life. Before the couple decide where to concentrate their search, they want to find out more about what will happen to their financial assets when they leave the UK.
1: We have a flat that we bought with a mortgage a few years back now. We both have ISAs and we've done our national insurance contributions and we both have pensions through our employers. The one thing I was really afraid of is five, ten 10 40 years down the line, I didn't want to have regrets thinking, oh, if only I had known that I needed to complete this form or that I needed to uh, notify this authority.
2: So what do they most want to find out from the experts? Let's start with their property.
1: We see the property as an additional savings pot. At the moment, when we see the mortgage go out every month, we think to ourselves, well, at least we're not paying rent. And this is just as if we're putting this money into a savings account.
2: Victoria's looks online to see how much they could charge if they rented out their London flat. But would this cover their mortgage payments?
1: If we get a buy-to-let mortgage and it's interest only, then yes, we can cover the mortgage and I think make a little bit of a profit. If the repayments are capital as well as interest, we may actually end up making a bit of a loss. So. When it comes to our property, are we better off selling it before we leave the country? Or if we keep it and rent it out, what would the tax implications be?
2: Next, we talked about the couple's tax-free investments in the UK. They both have stocks and shares ISAs. If you need some tips on setting one up, check out the show notes for a link to our Getting Started in Investment episode.
1: What I would be interested to know is, can I keep the ISA in the UK? Can I keep my investments and keep the tax efficient structure? Or do I give that up if I leave the country? And can I make any new contributions into the ISA if I'm abroad?
2: Victoria also wants to know what will happen to their pensions. The couple have both been saving into pension schemes run by their UK employers.
1: Does that pension stay in the UK? Can it stay in the UK if I wanted it to? Would it actually be better if I transferred it and combined it with my pension pot wherever I end up?
2: Finally, while she's been living and working in the UK, Victoria has made more than 10 years worth of national insurance contributions. If she leaves the country, will she still get a UK state pension in the future?
1: Can I take my NIC record with me to the other country? Or am I going to have a little bit of a pension that I will need to claim from the UK?
2: The pandemic means many professionals in the UK have now spent over a year working from home. And like Victoria, you may be longing for a change of scenery. But moving overseas is a huge challenge, emotionally and financially. To make the right decision, Victoria's absolutely right to explore the key financial questions in advance. Our first expert, David Denton, is a chartered financial planner at Quilters International. He has almost three decades of experience working with clients on cross-border financial planning. I asked David about the questions he gets asked most often by those planning to relocate.
3: I think a lot of people are genuinely concerned about things such as what do they do with their property and also mm. what will happen to my pension because you know these things are rooted in the UK when i go abroad do i lose access do i pay tax do i have choices and most importantly for me it's ask questions early to plan ahead it gives you the optimum ability to get the best out of the situation
2: let's start with the basics how the couple will earn money in another country They've both built up professional careers in the UK, but in David's experience, relocation decisions tend to be driven by one partner's prospects.
3: More often than not, it's one particular person who's found a, a niche role, very often sponsored by their employer, they'll often both move out together, and then the uh, other partner will then look for themselves to see what, um, what they can do in that particular location.
2: Victoria accepts that she will probably have to retrain or change careers if they move to Sweden, but I wonder how she would feel if, for the first time in her life, she was financially dependent on her partner. David says that
3: often one partner finds they have to compromise. Sometimes just taking the view, do you know what, let's take some time and see what this country has to offer and then determine what I want to do at a later date. Still, Victoria has got lots of options because
2: she's been a careful saver all of her life. Now, David, to the financial details, if you were to move overseas, anywhere overseas, what would happen to ISAs and pensions that you've built up in the UK? Can not you still pay into them,
3: for example? From an ISAs point of view, you can't. Now, there's nothing to stop you leaving that ISA in situ and growing in the way, uh, in a tax-efficient manner that it does. But one shouldn't assume that because it's tax-free upon encashment in the UK that that will be the case in the country that you live in oh. and what's important to realize and most people don't appreciate is that ISA status is only a UK status so any other country that's going to tax your savings and investments is very likely going to tax that ISA To sum up,
2: while the couple can't pay any more money into their ISAs while they live overseas, they can keep their money invested inside them, but they might lose the tax benefits. Whether or not you're planning on coming back to live in the UK in the future will have a bearing on any decision to stay invested or sell up. This is also likely to influence what the couple choose to do with their personal pensions. David says many British people working abroad who plan to return leave their company pensions invested at home
3: rather than transferring them overseas. Normally they stay where they are. Now, in 2006, it was made perfectly possible for most people who are expatriates to take their UK pensions overseas with them. Where Victoria and her
2: partner end up living will determine how easy or difficult any transfer might be and whether a tax charge could apply.
3: If you were to expatriate yourself into Europe, it's perfectly possible for most people to take those pensions with them and put them in an international scheme. When it comes to transferring your pension overseas, you can effectively do that without limit, but you need to bear in mind that in some instances there's a charge to tax to do so.
2: Nevertheless, David has a nifty tip for those planning on relocating. Make sure you have opened a SIP a self-invested personal pension, before you leave the UK.
3: There is a real quirk here, and that is that if you have a pension in the UK, one that can be contributed to when you leave the UK, and not all schemes will allow you to do this, the tax man in the UK allows you to keep paying a certain amount into that pension as a non-UK tax resident and still enjoy tax relief in the UK. For the next five years, Victoria and her partner would still
2: each be entitled to save just over £2,800 per year into their SIPs, boosted to £3,600 at a stroke, thanks to
3: tax relief. And that's because 20% tax relief is effectively paid for by HMRC. So if you do that for five years, that's a free extra little bit of money each year. That tax break could be worth
2: over £7,000 to the couple information worth knowing. And now for the state pension. Victoria has made 10 years worth of national insurance contributions in the UK, but David says Brexit has had an effect on what you might get when
3: moving to other EU countries. Now, if you'd moved into some countries and had a settled status before the end of the transitional period, then you may have been able to claim your state pension from that other country. But largely if you're going to move now that we've left Brexit, that feature's not available. So you'll be collecting your state pension from the UK, which of course does mean it will be in sterling. Currency risk
2: isn't the biggest worry. Those who draw their state pension overseas could lose annual inflation-linked increases, meaning the amount you'll get is frozen
3: at the date you left the UK. Not every country that you move to has the social security arrangements with the UK that effectively allows that pension to escalate which is quite peculiar but if there's a long period between you retiring the lack of escalation can be a big deal.
2: If you've been listening to all of the tax talk
3: and are thinking blimey
2: who knew that moving overseas could be so complicated then consider this. Planning ahead before you move is going to be a lot easier, cheaper and less stressful than trying to deal with it all afterwards from a foreign country. And you know what My next expert says the same philosophy applies when it comes to working out whether Victoria should sell or rent out her London property. Teresa Wallace is head of customer relations in the Lettings team at Savills
0: and a whiz on all things rental related. With selling, you obviously make a clean break. You know, once the sale is done, there's no further admin or maintenance or paperwork to deal with. But then also in selling, you can miss out on the opportunity for capital growth.
2: You might miss out on future price rises, but you'd also have nowhere to come back to if your foreign
0: move doesn't work out. So it might be better to rent your property out for, say, 12 months whilst you see if living abroad suits you. And then you can decide if you want to sell or keep your rental property maybe as a hedge against house price inflation, if you do decide to return, even if not to the same property. And what would be your
2: first steps that you would suggest a couple like Victoria and her partner take as they move beyond the idea
0: of maybe letting out their property to it becoming more of a reality? What they should do initially is... They should have their property valued for rental purposes to find out whether they do need to do anything to it. How much rent they can charge is what Victoria's been focused on,
2: but she really needs to think about the costs of being a landlord. Rental properties have to meet strict requirements in the UK and getting them up to scratch can be costly. Listen to the previous Money Clinic episode, Should I Rent Out My Property, for more info on these. And yes, you guessed it, there's a link in the show notes. However, Teresa says switching their mortgage is one way the couple could cut their
0: costs. It's really important that they do their research. They need to contact their lender uh, to see what their options are. You know, mortgage rates at the moment are so low, there are some amazing deals to be had. So they should actually shop around and find the best deal that would suit them. And that might not necessarily be with their current lender. Still, there are a lot
2: of other costs of renting out their property that they'll need to consider.
0: So they're going to need their tenancy agreement. I would suggest that they should have a good inventory of the property. There are health and safety things that they need to consider, such as they would need um, a gas safety report, an electrical report. They also need to speak to their insurance company You can certainly get insurance, but the important question is, have you got the right insurance? You need to have specific insurance for renting a property out. Anything else? Because they're going to be abroad, a managing agent is a good idea. And what about the cost of a managing agent? Now, a managing agent may cost them 6 to 7% of the rent, including VAT. But I think one of the things that they need to think about is, you know... If the cooker breaks down on Christmas day, do they want to be disturbed? A managing agent would take care of all of these unexpected calls from
2: tenants. And the good thing is, like many of the upfront costs, you can offset the agent's
0: fees against your taxes. Here's Teresa to explain. Any income that is earned in the UK is classed as taxable income, no matter where they're living. Now, there are various things that they can offset. Their agent's fees, the expenses of the health and safety checks that they have to have done, the tenancy agreement, they could all be tax deductible. So it's really important that they speak to an accountant to find out exactly what their tax situation is. So they would need to submit an annual tax return showing their income and then all of the offsetable outgoings and then look at what their net profit is They'd have to pay tax on the
2: profits, but even if there's little financial gain in renting out their London flat, Theresa
0: still thinks it could be worth hanging on to it as an investment. I mean our researchers at the moment are forecasting London house price growth of three percent this year and between 13 and 15 percent over the next five years.
2: The ups and downs of the London rental market are one thing. But Victoria also needs to research the cost of renting a property in the country they end up moving to. Neither Singapore nor Sweden are renowned for being low-cost locations. Back to David, who says much rests on the relocation package
3: you're able to negotiate with your employer. Many companies will provide financial provision to help you through that process of moving yourself and your family over there. But whether it include an uplift specifically for property purchase, that's very unlikely. But you may well get a contribution towards the increased costs associated with renting property.
2: That's great if you can engineer and move overseas with the firm you're already
3: working for. But in Victoria's case, that might not be an option. If you're deciding to move overseas at your own volition without a job, that's not going to be part of the negotiation process. And in those expensive cities that we all know, you should bear that in mind in advance.
2: Finally, David has some thoughts about the tax implications of selling their
3: London flat in the future. There's something called private residence relief that says when you sell your main property, there's no capital gains tax. That's true. If
2: Victoria and her partner sold their flat today, they'd have no tax to pay as it's where they live. But if they no longer live there, they could face a sizeable tax
3: bill when they come to sell. If you spend some time overseas... One shouldn't assume you keep that private residence relief. And in some situations, you'd need to come back to the UK and stay in that property for 90 days to qualify each year. And if you've rented it out, that won't be possible. Now that I've answered Victoria's
2: questions about the likely options for her property, pensions and investments, I'm hoping it will be easier for her and her partner to concentrate on the really important question, where they might relocate to. Whatever they decide, it's clear that planning ahead can pay dividends in the future, especially when it comes to tax. If you're considering a move, it could be a wise investment to employ the services of an accountant, tax planner or financial advisor to help you. Now that Victoria's heard the lowdown from our experts, I asked her how she
1: felt about
2: taking the next step.
1: A lot of Useful information. That I think what it has really highlighted, actually, it's is that there is quite a bit of work and research still to be done. It's not going to be as easy as buying a plane ticket and shooting off. Now,
2: David's point that it's more usual for one partner to be in the driving seat when it comes to an international move. Now, how would you feel? If you had to be financially dependent on your partner, even if it was just for a little while
1: mm. <laughs> um honestly, I would rather not i don't know i i li- i like to be independent yeah in, in, my, <laughs> in my own finances i i think it I just feel more comfortable um that that way um but i mean here's my husband. Uh, For better or for worse, Uh, so (laughs) we have made that commitment to each other. listening
2: to the feedback from the experts, overall, how has it made you feel about the potential move? Does it feel a bit more real now?
1: It has made it more real in the sense that I now have a clearer idea of what is it that I need to go and figure out. Previously, it was just like, oh, yeah, I need to figure out what to do with the property, but I don't know where to start. Or pensions, no idea. Whereas now, with the advice, I feel comfortable enough this weekend to sit down and figure out property, renting versus selling, pros, cons, and have a conclusion. So yeah, in that sense, it is more real it feels like we're one step closer but I do recognize we're still very much at the beginning of that process.
2: That's it for Money Clinic with me Claire Barrett this week and we hope you like what you've heard. If you do spread the word and leave us a review. If you would like to chat with me on a future episode of the show and get some expert thoughts on a money issue that's been bugging you, then email me. Our address is money at FT.com. You could also take a peek at our website, FT.com money, grab a copy of the FT Weekend newspaper or follow me on Instagram at Claire B. Money Clinic was produced in London by Josh Delamere and Persis Love. Our sound engineer is Breen Turner and our editor is Liam Nolan. And the original music is by Metaphor Music. And finally, the Money Clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That's the small print over and done with. See you back here next week. Goodbye.